So quick reminder about Ecclesiastes, uh, in case it's been a while. Ecclesiastes is a wisdom book. Uh, so the big wisdom books of uh, the Old Testament, uh, most people say Proverbs, Job, Ecclesiastes. Uh, and so they are answering the question, what does it look like to live the good life in the world as it really is? In a confusing uh, world where it's not always black and white rules. And Proverbs kind of give you ordinary principles that if you follow these, right? Uh, uh, you know, I was reading Proverbs this morning. It talks about keep love and faithfulness uh, tied around your neck and uh, you will live a long life. Again, that is a ordinary principle, but it's not a promise. That's not how it always works. And Ecclesiastes kind of looks at the exceptions to the rules uh, and makes you look at how broken and fallen and empty this world uh, really is. And so you really only get a full picture of wisdom by taking together Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Job. Really, you only get a full picture of wisdom as you see wisdom himself, who is Jesus, uh, who's the embodiment of it all. <clears throat> but uh, what we're about to read, uh, Ecclesiastes 5, 1 through 7, <clears throat> it's a little bit unique because if you walk through Ecclesiastes, most of it so far has been observations and reflections and getting you to kind of consider things that he's seen. And he's actually going to turn and he's going to give very specific instructions uh, about, um, about what this world is like and specifically what this world is like in the temple temple is the place that God dwells in the Old Testament. Now we'd say in the church, his people gathered together. And uh, he's going to give uh, some instructions about that. What is wisdom uh, in, uh, what is wisdom in worship uh, amidst the people of God uh, actually like? What should that look like? Um, so let me, uh, let me pray. Father, thank you for the book of Ecclesiastes. Um, not only is it just great literature, uh, it is from you. Uh, so it is perfect and it is good. Uh, and it both rebukes and encourages us, and I pray that your word would do that this morning. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. Um, all right, uh, these are my resources I keep pointing to. Uh, some, everything's coming from one of those. Uh, all right, here we go. Here's the passage. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God, right? House of God, when they heard that, they would have thought temple. House of God now, where does God dwell? It's not in a building. It's in, in believers' lives. So the house of God is especially when his believers gather together and worship, right? So guard your steps when you go to the house of God to draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few, for a dream comes with much business and a fool's voice with many words. <clears throat> when you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity, but God is the one uh, you must fear. All right, so as we've been doing... Uh, so you don't just hear me uh, talk for drone on forever. I've, it's actually been fun to learn from you. So take five minutes, get with people around you. If you don't know the person around you, please meet them uh, and just discuss. If you don't have time, discuss some of these or all these questions for trying to think about coming to Sunday worship with God's people, which is his house. Why do you actually come? Okay. And because he's going to say, guard your steps. So he said, you need to be thinking about why you come and be honest. What are some of your good motives? 
And let's be honest, we all have bad motives too. What are some of your bad motives of why you come here, okay? Second of all, he gives those specific uh, instructions. Uh, what are they? There are four specific instructions he, get, he gives uh, as you go to the house of God, as you gather. Um, and does any of that surprise you? And as you read it, as you think about those instructions, describe what the foolish person would look like coming to worship, okay? Right? Ecclesiastes is concerned with not are you doing it right or wrong, are you being wise or foolish, okay? And then third, uh, do you have any ways or practices that you have learned how to cultivate a heart that is God-centered uh, before you walk into this place with the, his people? Uh, as you can tell, that's how we're going to end. What does it look like to walk uh, into God's house, which is his people, with a heart that's cultivated towards him? So take about five minutes, discuss any of those that you want, and we'll come back to him. All right, um, so... <clears throat> You tell me what, uh, if, if his first thing is going to be guard your steps. So uh, there's supposed to be a self-awareness uh, as you're uh, walking into the place that God especially dwells with his, with his people in worship. Yeah, what, what, are, uh, what are the motives? What are some reasons that you find yourself here on Sunday morning? They can be good. They can be bad. We probably all have those uh, reasons running through. Y'all, what did anybody say? Kids, yeah. What do, you, what do you mean by kids? Yes. For sure. Uh, it's ama- and here's what's, here's what's amazing as God works through that. But it's amazing how many uh, people, when they have kids, come back to the church. Because they're like, well, I, I, I've been away, but I realize I want my kids to have this. Yeah, that can be a, that can be a reason that uh, you start showing up to worship. Good. What else? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's a, yeah, that's a really cool uh, example of like, if uh, worship is as necessary as food, and Jesus is the bread of life, uh, she connected to kids. Uh, my kids complain about food all the time. Uh, so should we expect kids and maybe even sometimes ourselves about grumbling about something that we really need? Uh, that's really, yeah, I like that. Uh, good. That's my experience. Somebody back here was going to say something. Yes, sir. Dr. Craig. Okay, it's very powerful. Yes, it is. Uh, very powerful uh, to be gathered together. Like you, think about this. God can be anywhere that he wants to be, period. And of course, he's omnipresent, he's everywhere. But he especially, in some a special way, is with his people as they gather together. That's where he wants to be. Think like, Think like Moses, familiar with the story, when he comes upon the burning bush. <laughs> There's a sense where God, yes, God's everywhere, but he's especially dwelling there. And Moses, he speaks to him and he takes off his sandals, he's on holy ground, right? I mean, that's the sense. God can be anywhere he wants to be. And where he wants to be is right here with us, with his people, and that's very powerful. Uh, good. Anything else? <laughs> Y'all are holier than me. Uh, I've, uh, those are all right. Uh, I've, uh, I mean, sometimes uh, you might come just to uh, college students to get your parents off your back. You realize they track your location and you get to be like, <laughs> you, you realize like they're looking and they see I'm at Christ Pres this morning. That gives me two weeks of, uh, of reprieve, right? Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, so, sometimes I, maybe, maybe you go because you feel like it makes your week better if you go, which is really interesting. Uh, there, what you realize is there's all these motives and God, here's what's amazing. God works through bad motives, right? But they can bring you here to this place. 
And the preacher in Ecclesiastes is actually going to say there's a foolish way to go about it. There's a, there's a vain way. And the first step to wisdom is to actually guard your, ste- guard your steps because to draw near, <clears throat> um, guard your steps uh, when you go to the house of God because to draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools for they do not know what, that they are doing evil. Okay, <clears throat> again, everybody, when they first heard this, would have been thinking about the temple, right? The house of God where he dwelled in a special way. But now the temple is God's people. And so he's saying, yeah, be careful. Guard your steps. Uh, When you are showing up and gathering with his people uh, because he is promising to be there in a powerful, special way, uh, you should guard your steps. And so at least that means like we should be thoughtful. Uh, We should should treat the Lord as if his presence matters because it does. He is the one who ultimately matters. Uh, And the way that he says that, the way, one of the ways that that you're wise is that, is that we listen, which means the the posture of of a wise person is we want to be teachable. We want to listen. We always show up thinking I have something uh, to learn. Uh, And this is, this is a supernatural work of God. It has to be. (laughs) To begin to realize I exist for God, God doesn't simply exist for me. Um, because what our sinful nature wants to do is curb me on ourselves so that I am the center of reality. But wisdom has begun to embrace what's true that God is, uh, which means I come in ready to hear what God has to say, not simply uh, think about what I have to say. Um, uh, which is really interesting. I think what God is saying, what, what he has to say and what he, is, he does is actually more important than all the things that I do for him. Interesting. Uh, and what do I first think about? Um, and so he talks about the sacrifice of fools. There could be a lot of things. Uh, Malachi 1 talks about a sacrifice of fools and what they're doing is they're bringing <clears throat> uh, sick and blind uh, sheep to sacrifice. Um, <clears throat> So uh, they're holding back their best stuff, but they still think this will work, right? And that the sacrifice of fools is so, it broadly means that you're trying to manipulate God. I'm basically kind of going through the motions thinking that if I pull these levers, God will do this for me. That's the sacrifice of fools, uh, tr- which... which Anytime you start, okay, if I, if I pull these letters, levers and therefore God will do this, it means I'm relating to God not as if he's a person, but as if he's a machine, right? What, what's great about machines is it, <laughs> your motives and your attitudes don't matter. I can, I can speak into Siri, you know, and just be mad and angry, and it still gives me the same answer because it's just a machine. But God is a person, and he's in a relationship with you, which means our attitudes and our, and our motives, they actually matter. And he's, he, he's not just, hey, do, do X and I'll, and I'll give you Y, because he, listening to him is the point. And the sacrifice of fools has me as the point. I'm trying to control God, and I'm trying to control what others think so that I can get the life that I want. And I think that's why he's saying that you're actually... It's, you're actually doing evil without even, without even knowing it. 
because outwardly it looks the same. Um, but, but God is saying the fool is actually hurting other people and actually is walking against God and doesn't even know it. So here's, like, here's one of the things, like sometimes if my, if my, if my religious stuff actually harms other people, and it can do that, that is not from Jesus. Jesus never harms. Now, Jesus hurts to heal sometimes, but he never harms. But if there's things that I'm doing that I say is like Jesus, but it's harming other people, it is not like Jesus. Very interesting. Uh, and so the sacrifice of fools thinks that just kind of external appearance religious observance, walking through the motions means we're okay with God. And what you realize is that that kind of external stuff, what it's doing is it's, it's covering. It's covering the ugliness within me. It's covering the evil within me. And so if, religious, if religious participation is just a cover to try to convince God and others that I'm close to him, right? Psalm 51 says, I don't desire, desire sacrifice. Uh, I desire mercy, I desire a broken heart. And what begins to happen is if I live in just kind of religious externals, but there's no heart reality behind it, what happens is a lot of times it harms other people. It pushes people away. And here's the interesting thing. When those people speak up, the religious person says, I'm being persecuted for for righteousness sake. No, we're not. We're being persecuted because we're jerks and arrogant and (laughs) self-righteous. And that's a very different thing. Um, so th- think about the parable. If you're familiar with Jesus' parable of the tax collector and Pharisee, both go to the house of God, if you use that language. Both are praying to God. Both believe that God hears what they say. But here's what's interesting. The tax collector is praying away as if his, his deeds and his religious stuff are covering who he really is. The tax collector, when he walks into the house of God, is uncovered by the Lord and just says, God be merciful to me, a sinner. That's it. Uh, That's the attitude that while I walk into this place with his people listening to the Lord, asking him to reveal myself, or am I doing this to cover myself? Because the house of the Lord is actually meant to disrupt our self-deceit and our denial, not to keep it going. And that's actually really convicting, at least to me. Um, so um, he's saying, actually, no, like here, this is, this is where the sacrifice of fools is supposed to end. This is where we can be honest about who we are, about, about what our week has looked like, because there is a God who draws near. And we don't, have to, uh, we don't have to cover. And he's saying one way that you know you're not covering is you have a posture of listening and teachability. Um, so second of all, Right? He says, uh, do not be rash with your mouth. This is the second sermon. Nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For a dream comes with much business and a fool's voice with many words. All right. <clears throat> Anytime uh, scripture starts talking about being few with words, it just, it's like a prod to me. It just hurts, okay? Uh, because I just speak all the time. And uh, but think about what he's saying, right? <clears throat> It's not just our inward attitude can be foolish. He's actually saying our words need to be thought about. And if they're rash and hasty, that reveals something about our posture, right? Jesus is the one that says, out of the abundance of the heart do the words come. So if you want to know what's in my heart, listen to the words that come out. And you're like, ah, dang it. Uh, 
But he's saying the, the, the words reveal what's going on in us. And so he says, if that's the case, then we should let our words be few. If the Lord of this universe is stooped down to be with us, and our, and, our, and our posture is to be wise listening, humility, then my words should be few. And we know this is true. Someone who speaks all the time, the concern usually is me. <laughs> if I speak all the time, the concern is that I'm heard, that what I have to say essentially matters. And actually, we all know this. The person who speaks all the time, you eventually filter out because it just becomes white noise, right? And so this really is saying the fool has little time for quiet. Reflection is a scary thing for the fool, right? Because I'm, try I'm, I'm trying to kind of cover. I don't want to think about these things, so I got to give this appearance. So quiet reflection is utterly disturbing uh, to the fool. And if worship, being together in, in God's presence, is supposed to uncover what's true about us in God, and that requires reflection, that can be very disturbing. And so I'll just begin to talk a lot. <laughs> and the person who talks a lot, this is Zacchaeus 1, assume, begins to assume that God thinks, says, and feels exactly the same way that I think, feel, and say. Right? And now I'm on a dangerous path. So here, here's a long quote, okay? This is Zacchaeus 1, if you can read it. Here we go. These performers, right, talking about the fool who talks all the time, constantly multiply God talks as if God is impressed with what they say as if their salvation resides in their ability to vacuum up every floor just by pushing their speech back and forth over it. Furthermore, foolish churchgoers assume what they think and feel is synonymous with what God thinks and feels. If they think it, they must say it. If they feel it, they must relieve it by means of orality. Dreams, those day and night imaginings and goals are always from God and never indicative of something potentially illusory within them. They are first draft people living daily on unmeditated speech Patience is a nuisance. Taking time to think is a waste of time. Plans must be made. Visions enacted. Great things must be, done, must, must be quickly done. For them, haste, constant talk, and busying oneself identify the hallmarks of those who should be in the church. And that is uh, it's convicting, so I'll say no more. Uh, but that, like, that's what, right? There's this sense of like, if I am talking all the time, if I'm the one projecting, if the concern is me, then it becomes an illusion that I just think I'm the center and what I think and feel and every idea I have must be a God-given idea, all that kind of stuff. And he says it actually can be a train wreck and harm other people. And so, you know, what I think uh, in our world, in our culture, the historic discipline that is really hard for us uh, would be called meditation. And I don't mean like Eastern meditation, right, where you hmm and you like disconnect. Meditation, right? Psalm talks about meditating. Meditating is taking the time to not just hear God's word, but to chew on it, to think about it, to think about how it affects you and others until it kind of comes in and is felt. And that takes patience and time, and most of us don't have that. And so historically, people would read or listen to God's word, meditate, and then pray. Usually we listen, uh, read, and then just immediately pray and go. Uh, but meditation is quite the discipline that makes you, makes you slow down. Um, and then uh, that thing about unnecessary words, this is just a thought that occurred to me. If God is the wise one, what that means is like God never says an unnecessary word. That's amazing. <laughs> so all 66 books of the Bible, 
Every single adverb, verb, noun is, right? This is what 2 Timothy says, is useful for training, for rebuking, for, uh, uh, you know, bringing about righteousness. He never says, he never says a meaningless word, which is incredible. Uh, because everything that he, uh, he is is wise. And I say so many unnecessary things. Uh, so third, um, let me go through this because I want to have time for a little discussion. He says, when you vow a vow to God, uh, uh, do not delay in paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It's better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. That probably, that probably seems kind of far off, but uh, think about this. If, if it's all about me and how I look and making myself look good, then I'm going to be tempted to make rash vows. I'm going to be tempted to say and promise things because it looks good. But then when push comes to shove, and if it's not going to kind of be, seem advantageous to me, I'm not going to follow through with that. So here's another quote uh, from Zach Oswine. He says, foolish churchgoers hastily make promises and pledges, and then they make excuses for not keeping their promises. Big speech gave them applause for the moment. And once the applause is gone, they have little motivation for following through when the crowd dies down. Church becomes a means for self-advancement and promotion. They always have a religious reason for why they cannot do what they pledge to do. So they love poorly and tell you how it was God who justifies what they did or didn't do. The foolish churchgoer's word is not his bond. Um, so I think that's the picture of vowing a vow that you don't follow through in because um, it's just about me and how I look. It's, a vow is usually a conditional promise, right? It can be like, God, if you do something for me, then I, I will do something for you. And usually what you do for me is something that I just have to have. I kind of have to have to be okay. And when we're confronted with the God of the Bible, like he's the Lord of space and time, he cannot be manipulated by my promises. That's not who he is. If you think about 1 Samuel when Hannah, if you're familiar with this, Hannah has been barren and she is, in, she is in the temple praying for a son. And she says, if you give the son to me, I will, I will make him your servant. I'll, I'll set before him as a Nazarite. That feels like manipulation, okay? But actually her attitude is correct because she's saying, if this comes to me, I'll realize it's a gift from you and I'll give it back. But here's how you know it's not manipulation. Before she ever gets it, after she, after she prays, it says she was satisfied. She didn't know whether she would get it or not. She was just satisfied that she, that she pled and met with the God of this universe, and then she trusted him with it. That's what it looks like. Of course, of course you ask big things from God. Of course you want to promise to follow him. But it's not in a way of manipulation. Um, so, and it was like, okay, do we still make vows? Uh, we don't make, I mean... The only vows I can think of that I ever made, unless I missed something, were vows to Liza, one of the best decisions I ever made, and then vows to the church. I can't think of anything else. Maybe I'll, uh, so if you go that, he's kind of saying it'd, more, it'd be more pleasing to not make those vows than to make them rashly and go back, go back on them. Um, I think that's what he's saying wisdom is. Um, and then lastly, he says, do not let your mouth lead you into sin. Uh, uh, and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase, the words grow many, there's vanity, but God is the one whom you must fear. Um, <clears throat> again, it's just back, like your words are huge. Uh, your words are a reflection of, of your posture and the posture of your heart. And uh, we're going to say this in, in, uh, in our uh, assurance of forgiveness. The God opposes the proud, but he draws near the humble. Um, so here's the wisdom, uh, and I'll, I'll kind of bring it to a close, see, see what you had, but on the one hand, here, I think this should be encouraging. God is not naive about what goes on with his people in the church. 
He's aware there's foolishness. There's been foolishness in the church since Ecclesiastes Day and even today. Um, but the foolishness of even Christians in the church does not mean that God, that God is not working. Uh, he absolutely is. But what he says, the resistance movement, is to fear God. And this is what he's going to say again and again in Ecclesiastes. So fear God. Don't give up on the church. Don't give up on worship. It's just, right, he doesn't say if you go to the house of God. He says when you. Here's what you, here's what you should remember. The one to be feared, the one to be honored, the one who, who matters supremely is God. And now as I re- realize that the one who matters most is God, and if, and if I come into his presence, here's the truth. If I'm going to come into God's presence, I have to be brought there. I can't come in on my own accord. You can't get into the Oval Office without someone else bringing you there. It's too, it's too powerful of a place. You can't get into the worship, the, 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 the right presence of God without someone else getting you there. And his name is Jesus. He is the one who's become the sacrifice of fools for us. He is the one who died in our place for all of our rash words. And he brings you in. And that's what enables you to courageously show up with a humble heart because it's it's about him it's about getting to know him he's the one who has saved me he is the one who has come from me and he's still at work uh and the amazing thing is if i realize it's about him you'll find he's deeply concerned with you and he's delighted that you're here and there's no place he'd rather be um did any of y'all come up with uh like got three or four minutes kind of some of you've walked with jesus along me are there ways that you've found to kind of cultivate a God-centered, a Jesus-centered heart, as maybe even just as you entered Sunday morning worship, any practices or things that you've done? I'd love to hear. And you won't be bragging if you share, I promise. Anything? Get a good night's sleep. That is not nothing. Um, like, actually be rested. Uh, actually, yeah, go to sleep. That's really good. And I realize if you have young kids and all that, that's impossible. So, feel like that. But, yes, like, go for it. Try to be rested. That's a great, that's a great, uh, simple one. Anything else? Yeah. It's cool. She's saying that somebody she read, uh, her job's always to prepare the communion bread Saturday night. So there's literally a routine that was built for her where physically she's putting her hands on stuff that was making her start think about, uh, what this is about. Yeah. So are there things that we could put in our routine, uh, on Saturday or yeah, that's great. Anything else? Uh, yeah. How about if our Monday is the same as Sunday? Uh, where we listen, uh, we listen quickly and speak slowly. That's, man, it's really good too. Because um, that's that's a trajectory of the heart. That's great. Yeah. So little gestures as I drink my coffee. Yes. Uh, yes. But seriously, I should be uh, aware of uh, of the, of the things I'm bringing in here. And is that distracting me? And or what is that saying? That's good, Doctor. Um, well, I'll end with this. I'll end reading this meditation, and we'll be done. Oh no, we won't. Yes, we will. Uh, no, we won't. That's impossible. Sorry. That was a bad picture. Uh, it's a meditation from Paul Tripp called First. You can look it up. Uh, thanks for being here.